the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and I'm filling in for Pastor Ron this week and next. Uh, That's because he is on vacation. Both he and Paula are enjoying their time in the warm California sun. They're doing well. They send their love, and they are uh, enjoying their time with each other, enjoying their time with Jesus And you can keep them in prayer because this is a time where not only do they enjoy each other, but they also seek the Lord together. Um, This is the time of year where Pastor Ron gets uh, alone with Jesus, and he always does that, but specifically for direction, for guidance, and for all of the things that are going on here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So he would, both he and Paula, appreciate your prayers. But as an update, he sends his love and they're doing well. He will be back here on the show, not next week, but the week after. So I'll be doing the show for two weeks, filling in. Now, in the meantime, our show continues doing what we normally do. We want, we're here to answer your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life. What does it mean? The doctrine questions. Uh, and And this is for one single purpose, which is to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus, to get to know him more. And as you get to know him more, you'll fall even more in love with him. So that's why we're here. The numbers to call in if you have a question is 210-340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877 Six three zero five seven five seven. Excuse me, eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. We have an email address also, so if you want to submit questions that way, it's questions at calvarysa.com. Questions that's plural at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app. That's the Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. You can submit questions that way. There's a simple form. You fill it out. You hit send. It goes right into our inbox. You can also listen to this show on the KSLR app. They make it super easy. Once you launch the app, you can listen live and you can click there at the the top. There's a button that'll connect you directly to the producer at the station. And you can answer your question on the air or ask your question on the air. (laughs) Like I said, it's Wednesday. Real quick, that means here at Calvary Chapel, It is our Old Testament Bible study night. Pastor Chris Sanchez will be teaching tonight. I believe he will be teaching uh, out of the book of Proverbs. And so uh, 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. You can tune in calvarysa.com. But even better, come and see us in person. 7 o'clock tonight. Okay, phone lines are clear. That means you're free to call if you like. Uh, 
In the meantime, we do have questions submitted, so let's go ahead right into it. Uh, This one's from Anonymous. It says, I'm a born-again believer, and the owners of a restaurant recently asked me if I would be the managing operator of their restaurant. The owners are openly gay. Would it be wrong for me to work for them and run their business? Anonymous, the short answer is this. It's between you and the Lord. You want, you want to, instead of seeking somebody else's opinion, you want to ask the Lord how you can rightfully represent him and honor him in this place of work. Now, a couple things about this. Uh, the fact that they approached you and asked you to run their restaurant, sounds like when you say managing operator, that means you have demonstrated some level of ability and, and, and sounds like you've established some equity with them, some trustworthiness to where your work ethic has impressed them. And that's a good thing. In fact, that's what all Christians should do. So the fact that they want you to run their restaurant is a great thing. It means that they see something in you that they like. And if you want to run a business, you want adequate people and people who you trust to run your business. So that's a good thing. And that's how we rightly represent the Lord. The fact that they are openly gay, this really is between you and the Lord. I mean, uh, there's many people who go to work and they have no knowledge or no control over what their bosses' lives are like. Now, in this case, they are business owners. They make the rules. So here, if I may make a suggestion, this is what I would do if it were me. I would sit down and talk to them and make it absolutely clear where you stand. That you you are a Christian, that you love the Lord with all of your heart, and the Word of God is the authority in your life. And even though you may not support their lifestyle, uh, it may mean or may not mean uh, between whatever the Lord tells you, you you may be able to still work for them. As long as you make it abundantly clear where you stand. There are people who uh, may, uh, business owners who may try to take advantage of you or they may try to force their beliefs upon you. And if that's not the case, maybe this is an opportunity that the Lord is providing for you, an open door for ministry. And that's what we should be doing. Now, if it becomes something where they are obviously making it difficult for you and and causing you or trying to force you to compromise your beliefs, then that's not the place for you. But if there is an opportunity for you to shine the light of Jesus Christ, to be a witness in a dark world, I, I couldn't think of a better place to do that. But again, Anonymous, this is something that this is something that you have to prayerfully consider and, and do what the Lord says to do. Can you imagine, Anonymous, if those of us who are believers, we only picked places where we knew exactly what was going on in, in the lives of every single supervisor we, we worked under? It'd be impossible. First of all, it's none of our business. But... It would be impossible because we are called to be in the world, to be a light, but not of the world. And I could, like I said, I couldn't think of a better place to do this. Now, Joseph and Pharaoh was a wonderful example. And Joseph was somebody that was tossed in the middle of Egypt, I mean, in, in the prison cell. And time after time again, he was not only ignored, but even worse than that, he was betrayed. And even after having dealt what seemed like every worst blow, he kept his eyes on the Lord. And because he kept his eyes on the Lord, it became apparent to those that are around him, whether it was in the prison or whether it was in uh Potiphar's house, uh, whether it was in under Pharaoh 
This was a man that worked for God. There was God's hand on his work. And those are the kind of people that, that managers, that business owners want. And God was able to use them in a way that, well, you know, changed the world, changed the history of Israel. So Anonymous, I, I hope that helps. Uh, on a side note to this, and this isn't really part of your question, Anonymous, but it gives me an opportunity to elaborate on Christians in the workplace you know, when there's someone that loves the Lord with all of their heart, it can't be something that you just say, and it can't be something that you just demonstrate on Sundays. The people that see you the most, and what I mean by that is the people that live in your home, and the people that see you at work on a daily basis, these are the people that know who you really are. And if you call yourself a Christian and even use your mouth to talk about Jesus. But the people that see your lives on a regular basis see a disconnect between what comes out of your mouth and the way you live. That ruins your witness. I want, if I'm a business owner, I, I want, uh, hard-working Christians that that show up to work early and when they're on the clock, they're the ones that are the most productive. They're not caught up in finding loopholes. They're not, you know, on their phones and they're not uh, going on websites that they're not supposed to go on while they're on uh, on the clock. And guess what? That's what the Lord will use as a witness to your supervisors. So we should be, we who are Christians, should be the best employees. And if we are, it reminds me of Titus, you know, when Paul would write to Titus in the second chapter and say that slaves, that's the context there, and it's really talking about those who are in authority over you. Those of you who are slaves should be obedient to your masters, so that they, the masters, see the word of God, and and it's attractive to them. I can't think of a better witness than that. Anonymous, again, thank you for your question. The next one is from, actually, we got one in the email inbox. I'll go ahead and take this one from our email inbox. This is from John. This one is addressed to Pastor Ron, um, but I'll go ahead and take it anyway. And since I don't have that many questions, <laughs> I'll take it and then he can elaborate when he gets back if he desires. So it says from John, hi, Pastor Ron, I heard a CC pastor from Ontario, Oregon named Paul Laboutile. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I know who he is. Paul, actually, uh, Pastor Ron actually knows him. I don't, but Pastor Ron knows him. He mentioned that he believes that when God breathed, also known as spirit in Greek, that is when the Holy Spirit came in. Do you think that is the case? Uh, John, I don't know exactly what uh, Paul was say, Pastor Paul was saying, but I, I have listened to his teachings and I do know he's, his doctrine is sound. He's um, great Calvary Chapel Bible teacher. But he is right in the sense that the word that's used in Hebrew, and this is a beautiful thing, the word ruach is the word that is literally breathed or puffed into this clump that God formed of elements from the earth. And he breathed the breath of life. That word ruach is the same word that's often used for wind and is often used for spirit in the Old Testament. It's interesting, too, that in, in Greek, in the New Testament, Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. There in John chapter 20. And, and when he appeared to his disciples... And he breathed upon them the breath of life, 
Jesus said this, receive the Holy Spirit. So that in the Greek, that word is pneuma. It means spirit, but it can also mean wind. But it's the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. Now, this breath of life that God breathed into this clump that animated man to give him life is the same breath of life that Jesus breathed or said or breathed upon the disciples. Now, it doesn't explicitly say this is the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 2. I think that's what you're talking about. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, John, when uh, God breathes into Adam. But it is the same word used to describe the Spirit. Now, to me, this is fascinating because in the same way that God breathed life into Adam where he was dead, uh, inanimate is the actual description, It was a clump of elements that came from the earth. God formed him and breathed the breath of life into him. And then instantly he was quickened, instantly made alive. There was no evolution. It was instant that he was made alive and he was the first man. That breath is from God. It's the breath of God, the breath of life. Just because it's the same, it is the word, the same word that could be descriptive of the Holy Spirit, but it's not, it doesn't explicitly say that, but it is the breath of God and the breath of life that Jesus describes. So I just love that picture. In the same way Jesus did it to disciples in John 20, he does this to us. I've shared here before on the air, but uh, this immediately brings me back to 1997 in November. I was dead, walking around a dead man. And then God breathed life into me. That's the Holy Spirit. That word pneuma that he breathed into me changed everything in the same way that this clump of dirt that God formed from the earth in Genesis 2 came to life. So did I. So thank you, John, for your question. It is the same word, even if one is in Hebrew, Ruach in Genesis and Numa. In the New Testament, uh, they both can be used to mean the same thing. Spirit and wind and the breath of life. Next question is from Caleb. Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever. Does this refer to the cross or to the second coming? Well, let's, let's read this verse in its context. Uh, verse 7, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken in that day. Oh, that's the end of the context there. Oh, the next verse is the same context. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. So this is a a picture. There really is a dual fulfillment here, but this is a bigger picture to what happens at the uh, at the end of judgment. When when we enter into this tribulation period, and we're not going to be here, but this is specifically about Israel, who will be here at the end of the seven year judgment we then enter into this millennial reign. Well, again, after the end of this millennial reign, evil in the hearts of people will still rise up, and then there will be this one final judgment, and that's what this points to. So, he will swallow up death forever means it will be done after the millennial reign, and there will be no suffering. Paul writes about this uh, also in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about at the cross, 
Jesus died so that death will lose its sting. So there's one application. The context of Isaiah is looking forward to the millennial kingdom. But Paul also references this wiping away the tear and death being swallowed up forever, excuse me, in Jesus. His death on the cross renders the devil unable to have bondage over us. And that's why death no longer has a sting, First Corinthians 15, to those that are in Christ Jesus. Good question, Caleb. Uh, question from called in. This is a question that was called in into the radio station from Ray in San Antonio. Do you know who Andy Stanley is? And if so, what is your input on him? Ray, I do know who he is. I Not personally, but I do know who he is and what he teaches. Andy Stanley is the son of the late Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley was a wonderful Bible teacher that went to be with Jesus recently. And uh, Andy Stanley is his son. Now, Andy Stanley went on to start his own church and uh, has since then adopted what, for lack of a better word, it's more of a, a, a woke culture to his teaching. He is... Uh, he he doesn't use the words LGBTQ affirming, but when you listen to him speak, I mean, that's basically what he is. It's quite unfortunate. He, uh, he Many years ago, I remember, and this is probably 10 years ago, I remember reading a book by him that was pretty solid. But uh, unfortunately, his views have changed and he seems to have a, a more culturally friendly an LGBT uh, agenda-friendly uh, stance. And, and quite honestly, he's, he's caught a lot of uh, flack for it. Now, this is not a judgment on his heart, but his teaching has uh, become off. And unfortunately, that leads, misleads the people that, that have been following him. Uh, you know... When we have been given a responsibility as pastors to teach God's word, that means our responsibility is to open the Bible and to teach what it says. And there is, I understand, there there is a pressure to conform to our culture. And and now that our culture is becoming more anti-Christian, uh, some pastors start to change their views. Uh, I can speak for our church here that that will never happen. Our focus is on the Word of God and teaching what it says, um, even when there are people that would be mad at us. Um, But in Andy's case, unfortunately, uh, his tune is different, and he's not somebody that I would recommend listening to. Always a bummer. I don't really like talking badly about uh, or shedding bad light on other pastors, but when asked specifically, I will try to give the clearest answer I could. So Andy Stanley isn't somebody I would recommend listening to. We are under uh, inside three minutes, so I don't have any time to take a call. Um, I don't have... Well, I'll save the rest of the questions till the break because I probably don't have something I can answer quickly. But let me say one more thing about this. And this isn't specific to Andy Stanley, but there have been other pastors that have done similar things. And and people who have changed their views, uh, even people that I know. Um, and this is one of the worst things that can happen to a pastor that is leading people in the church. When, when a pastor teaches the Bible to his church body, they need to see consistency. The people need to know that the pastor has a commitment to God's word, even if it's something that is difficult. And make no mistake, I mean, that's the culture that the enemy is building around us. 
to make people who teach the Word of God or who believe in the Word of God feel like they're the ones or we're the ones that are evil, that we're the ones that are causing pain and sorrow, that we're the ones that that are deceived. But it's not true. And so when people listen to pastors like that and that have changed their tune, just stop listening to them. Listen to somebody else that won't change, that just teaches the Bible. And if you go to a church that's like that, that conforms to this culture, uh, Romans chapter 12 tells us that our minds need to be renewed, we need to be transformed, no longer conforming to our culture, but being conformed to the Word of God. That's it. The good news is if we do that, we don't have to change anything. We just keep doing what we're doing. And we get to watch God work in the hearts of people. Okay, well, you can hear the music. That means the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand on the first half is done. And I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and if you're just tuning in, I have the pleasure of filling, filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who normally hosts this radio show to take your questions questions about the Bible, uh, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, doctrinal questions, whatever we can do to help you. All these things will continue on the show while Pastor Ron and Paula are enjoying their vacation. They send their love, they're doing well, and they appreciate your prayers. Okay, 240-340-9585, that's the phone number you want to call if you want to ask your question on the air. 240, I'm sorry, 210-340-9585, 877-630-5757. That's the toll-free number, 877-630-5757. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. Okay, let's continue on with the questions that have been submitted. Again, the phone lines are clear. If you want to call in, you're welcome to do that. In the meantime, we do have a few submitted questions. Next one is from Jeffrey. With all of the talk of UFOs these days, and even the latest military whistleblower about suppression of evidence from non-human origins... What impact would the discovery of aliens have on Christianity? Jeffrey, none. None. Absolutely none at all. In fact, uh, it is interesting if you are up on the news or for people that that stay current with these things. It just almost seems like uh, one conspiracy theory or perceived conspiracy theory comes out every single day, one leak, one whistleblower. And and the truth is, Jeffrey, that whether or not things are hidden or things are true or things that are um, unknown to us still become known, none of that changes anything. Specific to your question here, what impact would that would the discovery of aliens have on Christianity? None. So this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to read a, a passage, a very short one from Hebrews chapter 2. And I love this because this is actually Psalm 8 that Paul quotes from. But he says, It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come. This is in verse 5 about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. And then he quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? 
You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Then this is what he goes on to say, Jeffrey, listen to this. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. So, the context of this in in Hebrews chapter 2 is about the incarnation of Jesus. But still, in his incarnation, Jesus, even being physically limited to a human body, did not lose his deity. And in fact, it says here that God has left nothing that is not subject to him. So it doesn't matter what's out there. And I would even add this, Jeffrey. It's fine to, to watch the news and find out what's going on in the world, but we have to be very careful not to cross the line into thinking things that are unbiblical. We have to be careful that these rabbit trails of what is true and what isn't true in the news distracts us from what we know to be the truth. Now, if your thinking is biblical, then you'll be able to watch the news and say, okay, that's trash. Oh, let me look at this. That's okay. And then, oh, this is trash. And you'll know. You'll have discernment because your standard is the Word of God. You already know what's true. And make no mistake about it. The news doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. The news is all constructed, presented, and and built within a framework meant to convince people, to sway people into certain political agendas. Well, we have no political agenda. When we read about UFOs, and and by the way, Jeffrey, if somebody talks to you uh, about Ezekiel writing about UFOs, that's not true. That's not true. Just because Ezekiel uses a descriptive poetic language to describe things that are in the air does not mean these are unidentified flying objects as the government would describe them. There will be objects for sure in judgment, but be very careful when people read into some of the details of of scripture, particularly in the Old Testament and in in Revelation and Ezekiel, that describe or ascribe UFOs to some of these descriptions. That's not what they're talking about. But yeah, there's there's no impact. Just be careful what you watch. Don't be too consumed by it. And even with the latest military whistleblower, and I do know what story you're talking about. Uh, interesting, sure but not enough to have any impact on what we know to be true in the Word of God. Thanks, Jeffrey, for your question. The next question is from Neil. This is an interesting one. Neil says, Can you name some times you you yourself have endured hardship and had to persevere? What did it look like? Uh, Neil, uh, my life is great, uh, but it's not without hardship. I almost said my life is good. <laughs> uh, not naturally very good, but even better than that. But Neil, I'm not exempt from hardship. Nobody is. And so I love the fact that you ask a personal question, which I don't mind sharing at all. Can you name sometimes you yourself have endured hardship? There's a couple that come to mind. For me, the first one that comes to mind is when I got saved. Now, this is 1997. I started to count the years, and I don't even remember how many years that is. But I know the, the date, 1997, November 30th. And that day, 
I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Up to that day, and I would say that there was a nighttime service at Horizon Christian Fellowship, so it was in the night. That day and every day prior, hardship is 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 not even close to what my life was like. I, I felt like dying, and I felt like if I did die, that nobody would care if I died. It, my life was just miserable. And, and I didn't know the Lord. And I tried everything I could to pretend that I was okay. And, and I even took pride in being able to pretend that everything's okay on the outside when it wasn't. And now looking back, I was probably the only person that thought I had people fooled because uh, it, it must have been apparent looking at me that my life was a mess. But that's the hardship that I think about. And I remember thinking about a church, somebody bringing me to church that night, listening to somebody teach the Bible. And, it, and even before they started, that hardship that I was dealing with, that anger, the resentment, the hopelessness, that would be the word I would use to describe my life. That hopelessness was so consuming that I, I couldn't hear or listen to anything. But when I walked into this high school gym that had chairs set up, I, I saw words that were on the screen, people singing. And I, I, I probably was the only person sitting down in that whole sanctuary. And I did not want to stand up and I did not want to sing. But I couldn't help but look at the words. Even before the service started, I looked at the words and I looked at the people and I thought, there's just no way this is real. I'm here suffering and I'm enduring hardship. There's no way these people, these are, these people are pretending just like I try to pretend. Uh, but there in that chair, the Lord really softened my heart, broke me down. And, and Jesus spoke so clearly to me like I was the only person in that room. And so I, it, to answer your question, that specific time of hardship, I didn't have to persevere uh, because I didn't have the Holy Spirit. But what I did do was surrender in my hardship. And that's the first thing I would say, Neil. I had to surrender in my hardship. Instead of trying to pretend that I am okay, I had to surrender and admit that I wasn't. And that's when the Holy Spirit came into my heart and changed everything. And I haven't looked back since. Uh, but even today, it doesn't mean that I'm exempt from hardship because as a Christian, walking with Jesus is challenging and it should be. If walking with Jesus was without hardship, then why would we need Jesus? Why would we need the Holy Spirit? Paul says, and Peter both say, that we will endure hardship. Not we might, but we will. But in that hardship, in that suffering, Paul writes that that suffering makes us more like him. Makes us more like him. And so the, the second part of your question, which is when you've had to persevere, well, that's every day. And every day today, to some degree, different. Sometimes uh, days are not as hard as others, but there is still a, a perseverance, a, a, a clinging to Jesus that I, I won't let up on and I won't lighten my grip on him just because things are not as hard as they were before. I want to cling to Jesus so hard, whether it's good or bad, because being with Jesus is when I become more like him. And so that's what it looked like, Neil, that, uh, 
I hope I didn't provide too much detail, but thank you for your question. Let's go to our phone lines. Line one, Scott from San Antonio. You are on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ken. How are you doing today? Scott, I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks for asking. All right. Well, I just got out of work, so I only caught the tail end of one of the things you were talking about there. I have a question, but I wanted to make a comment. <clears throat> um, I heard, I think it was Elon Musk they were interviewing. And in the conversation, basically, they were saying, if the government, you know, a lot of people think it's conspiracy theory, the government's hiding aliens. If the government can prove that, or if they could show that, he said, that would solve all their budgeting issues they have with the Department of Defense. <laughs> he said, <laughs> so I just thought, that's kind of an interesting way to look at that. So, uh, yes. uh, my question, though, is, um, is when Paul is, is talking about the person that went to the third heaven, and, um, and I, I've, I've said this myself, and I've heard it from a lot of pastors everything, that Paul is to himself. But he's talking in third person there. And I was called on it the other day, and I really didn't have a good answer for it. What is the evidence, or how do we come to the conclusion that Paul is talking about himself? I kind of look at it as Paul's great humility that he doesn't want to talk about himself, or maybe I'm off on this altogether. But if you could just touch on that, I would appreciate it. And I will listen to you on the radio. Absolutely, Scott. Thank you for your call. Thank you for levity there. It's funny. But to your question about Paul, I love this. I absolutely love this. So you're right. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is the passage that you're referring to, uh, Paul describes himself. He's talking about his own experience. And even if there isn't any, what I would say, concrete evidence, because he intentionally uses vague language, he is referring to himself because he's the only person that would know this. Uh, in the beginning, I'll read the passage here. It's in the beginning of the chapter. So listen to the detail here. Although there, this is verse 1 of 12, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions... And revelations from the Lord. That's the first key. He's the only one that knows about his own personal visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Now, here's the key part to this, Scott. Uh, You're right, because here Paul is saying, I'm not going to fall into the trap of boasting about myself. That's why he keeps it vague. But he does say... I'm going to boast in the Lord. So this is boasting in what the Lord has done or what the Lord will do in a person that is completely surrendered to them. But Paul intentionally keeps it vague because he doesn't want to direct the attention to himself, just like you said, Scott, and I think it's as simple as that. But uh, I I do believe that the, the reference to him being in the presence of God, is referring to, remember when Paul would visit uh, Lystra and Derby, and and actually sharing the gospel there would go and uh, get persecuted. One time he was dragged out of the city and stoned to death, left dead. He died. And in that moment, I believe, is when he's referring back there to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And God said, you're not you're not finished yet. I'm not finished yet with you. And obviously, you know the story there. In Acts chapter 16, he came back alive, and he went right back into the city. But in that moment, God gave him a vision of things that we're not to talk about. And because he doesn't want to make it about himself, he wants to boast in the Lord. He doesn't name himself. So, 
Scott, great observation. I love that. Let's go back to our phone lines. We do have line two. Phyllis from San Antonio, you are on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. I I am reading right now in First Kings, of finishing up in First Kings chapter sixteen. Uh, but I have a question about uh, the last verse there, First Kings sixteen thirty four, when it talked about High El, um, the cost of his firstborn, uh, Abiram, I believe, and then also his second son, Segub. Could you please tell me uh, what happened? Does that mean that he sacrificed them? You know, as some said, like they uh, sacrificed their children to Molech. I'll uh, get off the phone and listen to you uh, on the radio. Thank oh, okay, you. Phyllis, before you go, real quick, I just want to make sure I get the right passage. You said First Kings 16? Yes, sir. Got it. Um, verse 34. In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. Yes, yes, I see it. Okay, perfect. I'll okay. give you a second to, to hang up, and you can take the question off the air. Uh, thank you for your question, Phyllis. So let me start off by looking at this passage and just reading it in this context. In verse 34, 1 six, Kings 16, In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua. One second here. It, I'm going to have to read this a little bit more in context, but it does sound like this is the prophecy that's spoken by Joshua that Ahab... In Ahab's time, his sons would be given up. The, the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and, and the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance to the word of the Lord, it sounds like he gave them up. He sacrificed them, but I don't think it applies to an actual literal sacrifice. His sons probably perished here in the laying of these foundation, in the work that was done. Yeah, that's actually what it refers to. He laid up its foundations at the cost of, of his sons. And so, setting up the gates, his youngest son, Segub, died. In establishing or constructing the foundation of, of Jericho, his firstborn son died. And it sounds like that's exactly what he's talking about here. Joshua predicted that this would happen. And in Ahab's case... That this setting up of an ungodly system of worldly worship would cost him his son's lives. Now, I think this is a picture for us that even when warned by God through Joshua, Ahab insisted. Uh, Hale insisted that his uh, he would continue doing what he wanted to do and it would cost him now I've got just a couple of minutes here so I want to elaborate on this we're just inside three minutes so this is really important you're right Phyllis the, uh, the context of this is about the construction and the lives of his son being lost but I think there's a bigger picture here, that a bigger application that applies to us that's really important. Even as Christians, uh, when we belong to the Lord, we have to make sure our work is committed to Him and not committed to what we want to do. And if, it, and if we as Christians insist on doing things our way, God's going to do whatever it takes to get our attention. That doesn't mean He's going to necessarily kill us or kill people around us. But this is what God did through Joshua was give Hiel a warning because he loved him. He loved his sons. Even in their rebellion, in Hiel's rebellion, he wanted him to be obedient to the God of Israel. God wanted 
to use him. But in his insistence, and I think of Pharaoh and his battle with Moses, he was so stubborn. His heart was so hard that he said, I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what. And as a result, it cost him his firstborn son, Abiram. And then he continued on setting up the gates, and that cost him his youngest son. I, I think the application is clear for us. Even as Christians, we got to be really careful. We're not going to be judged necessarily by this. Jesus took our judgment for our sins on the cross. Let me make that abundantly clear. But God still, by the power of his Spirit, directs us. And when we insist on going in a direction that is not where the Holy Spirit is leading us, he's telling us there will be consequences. And as much as he loves us, he will not give up chasing us down when we're in rebellion to him. Phyllis, thank you for bringing this passage up. Hyle wanted to rebuild Jericho, but in his work, he continued in a manner and doing something that even after being warned by the prophet Joshua, he still continued, and there were consequences. Well, it's Wednesday, and it's the music, so that means we're at the end of our show for the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. Real quickly, here at Calvary Chapel, 7 o'clock, we have Pastor Chris Sanchez, who will be teaching out of the Book of Proverbs on our Old Testament night. My name is Pastor Ken. I will be back here on the show tomorrow with my wife for the date day edition. We'll see you then at 4 o'clock. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.